Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. And we have got a wonderful subject to talk about today. And I've titled it this, How Earning an EFCA Credential Strengthens You and Your Church. And the reason I called it that is because oftentimes when we hear about the subject of credentialing, ordination, licensing, and everything else, quite frankly, it just doesn't sound all that exciting. In fact, the very reason that you're even listening to this right now says a lot about you. So I just want to affirm you wherever you are, whoever you are, you're doing the absolute right thing by listening to this, because I believe that what we're going to talk about today is absolutely going to help you in a, this is one of those quadrant two kind of not urgent but very important subjects. And there is nobody better on the planet to speak about this issue than the man himself, the executive director of Theology and Credentialing for EFCA, Mr. Greg Strand. Greg, how are you? Well, what can I say after that? (laughs) Well, I don't know, Greg. That was over the edge, man. That was over the edge. But you know what, Greg? Listen, I mean... Yeah, I'm sorry, but you're you're basically just about the smartest guy in all of EFCA, and it's no offense against Kevin or Eddie or any of the pastors, but I mean, you just you've probably forgotten more theology than most of us will ever know. If we walk behind you, we'll just pick up the theology that falls yeah. out of your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey, <laughs> shall we move on? Shall we move on? I know, I know, but I just want to build you up a little bit. I know, well, you know, okay. you're a humble guy. So, but, well, you know, by God's grace, brother, and you know, we all have different 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 tasks and different gifts and we all want to use them faithfully and it's just a reminder too brother that you know we we are together uh, we are we are stronger when each part of the body uh performs uh the way god has designed and i know you affirm that as well no well absolutely and you've obviously you've done a bunch of writing and speaking and you have a you have a blog as well strands of thought right i do that's correct yeah. And so yep. you've done a lot of writing and people can follow that. And we'll talk about yes. some, some other things that you have written that are pertinent to our subject. But I just want to come right out and just, and we'll talk about a bunch of stuff, but I just want to yeah. come right out and ask you, because I think it's just kind of like the big question. Um, and even I want to get into your background a little bit, but just so we, we, uh, we throw it out there, why should a busy pastor, a busy associate staff person, um, you know, even somebody who's who's aspiring to go into ministry in their church in the middle of a pandemic with all that's going on and all of this uncertainty and social unrest, why should anybody pursue an EFCA credential of any kind? First Timothy chapter four, verse 16 says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In many ways, Tim, it really is a a means of helping, of aiding, of guiding pastors to watch their life and doctrine closely. It does matter. It doesn't mean that one, one cannot do that on one's own. But we are part of an association of churches, and, and as we call uh, elders and members, 
to accountability, this is one of those things where it seems to me we as pastors, we lead the way. And so when we make that plea to others, we ourselves can say, and by the way, I too am one under authority because we're part of the free church. It's a matter of helping us to abide by, uh, fulfill the, 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 the mandate given in, by Paul to Timothy to watch your life and doctrine closely. And so really, it, it's, it's, it's an accountability and it's a guide uh, to, to aid us in that. Yes? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. How is it different than, um, you know, because people would say, okay, well, I get that. That's good. That's why I went to seminary. Uh, how is it different than a master's degree or the years of study that goes into schooling? Why should you do this on top of that? Yeah. Uh, you get a degree, uh, a, a couple of things that would be different here. Um, this is not a formal degree. This is a recognition uh, of from peers, those that have been ordained and, and those that are part of a local church. It's recognition theologically and character-wise of a person's call. It's a confirmation of character, call, of, of biblical and theological competency as well. And so, so one does not need a formal MDiv degree. Mm-hmm. Because of our congregational polity, one needs a call to be a pastor of a local church. Mm-hmm. And that call to a local church is then what, what precipitates or allows one to initiate the credentialing process. Um, and, and so it's not just, it, it's not, it's not a, a, a degree in that sense. Um, so why should one do it? Because one is saying, I'm a part of this movement. It's, it's a, one of the major ways in which, in which one says, I'm a part of this movement. One leads, one models to the church. I'm a part of this movement. The other thing I would say is this, brother, and that is, so what kind of, what kind of accountability Does one who graduates from a school have subsequent to that degree, being granted that degree, what kind of accountability does one have to that institution, doctrinally and morally? Well, if one's credentialed, then one one does have accountability, um, and and we're going to ensure that that happens because one needs to affirm every five years uh, that we affirm the statement of faith uh, without mental reservation. So, so all that to say, it's an ongoing accountability, not just having achieved a certain level or a certain degree or a certain certificate, but it's ongoing. It's living and active today and tomorrow and the next day. And I think that then helps us to help one another to watch our lives, not just personal, individual, but corporate to watch our lives and doctrine closely and carefully, which really then does strengthen not just me, but the local church, but also our denomination. Yeah, and I think that's what's so important. And I will we'll talk, I think, a lot about this today because the process of ordination, uh, licensing, the credentialing process is a very local church-centric idea and concept, which is very much in line with our polity. And that's something that you helped me understand along the way, is it's not just the EFCA denomination vetting the pastor at the top level and then saying this guy uh, is good. It is actually something that is that it has the involvement of and in some ways is even generated by the local church, which is kind of a beautiful thing because that's where our leaders are to come from. Yep. And in many ways, in many ways, Tim, 
I look at this, at least in, in our association of churches, right, the EFCA denomination, it's really, uh, credentialing is a three-legged stool. And the way I look at that is the three-legged stool, the three legs are the local church, the district, and the national. And the call to a local church, that, that's foundational. Apart from a call to a local church, credentialing doesn't happen. And, and as you noted earlier, that is reflective of our congregational polity. So that's where it originates. But that's not where it terminates or necessarily ends. And that's then in our association of churches or in our denomination. That's then where there's also the additional layers, the other two legs, that is the district and the national, in which we oversee this so that we then do have a national process of credentialing that gives it some um, consistency from district to district among our various uh, the, the districts across the United States. Well, and and that's important because I'm thinking about the people who are listening to this podcast because it's not necessarily just senior pastors, lead pastors. You might be a person in an associate level position. You also might be an elder and or lay person in ministry and, and in leadership. And it's important that you know this as well because... Uh, and this is where I'd like to even get into your background and step back for a little bit, get into your background a little bit and ask you, Greg, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you've been at this for a while. And um, but what what led you into this and what drives why are you so passionate? You've given your life to maintaining the theological integrity of the Evangelical Free Church of America and asking others to do the same through this process. Why is it so important to you? And, and just tell maybe tell us a little bit about your background and just kind of how you got led there. Uh, I think uh, part of it is uh, it's been said that often God will use individuals to impact a people. But God, uh, or, or make an impact for the moment. But God will use institutions or organizations to impact for a generation and beyond. And, and so it's not just a matter of faithfulness and fidelity, personal faithfulness and fidelity. It is that. But if there's passing the baton to another generation, to the third and fourth generations, uh, there, there, there needs to be something in place that will, and there's no absolute guarantee. There are no, there are no grand spiritual grandchildren in that respect. Every, every generation is a, is a son or a daughter, just children, right? But that generation or that family likeness is propagated through putting together structures and systems. And we all know that they can go bad. We know that. But that doesn't necessarily make them bad. Used in the right way, they propagate, they, they promote, they, they retain some of the faithfulness and fidelity to the next generation. And my concern, brother, is if we downplay these things, I think we'll be fine for this generation. I honestly am concerned for the next generation. And that then is is really one of one of many, but one of my motivators that this this really does matter. It does matter that there is the importance of of uh, vetting with peers, mm. colleagues in ministry, mm -hmm. of saying yes, this person uh, is the character and and the and the, and the biblical and theological fidelity to to uh, give uh, in a sense an imprimatur um, uh, to to be credentialed. 
and and so I I honestly think uh, Tim that that the 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 health the future health and well-being doctrinally and morally of our movement uh, I think not exclusively but I think it resides and rests in our credentialing process. Mm-hmm. Well, and it goes back to that idea of this is something that is under the category of you know it doesn't feel urgent but it is very important yeah. and i use that language because you know if you think of the old stephen covey days and the quadrant one quadrant two kind of a thing and what they always mm-hmm. said was if you yeah. don't pay attention to what's important eventually what's important becomes or, or not not urgent but important it becomes important and urgent and yeah. and so i, I want to talk about that a little bit because just just could, could i of, add one thing yeah, to please. that yeah. brother and that is this in this day and age in light of some of what we've learned the last number of years, it's almost unthinkable that, that a pastor would not take this seriously. It's almost unthinkable that an elder board would not require their pastoral staff to pursue this credentialing. It's almost unthinkable that the membership would not request the elders to hold the pastoral staff accountable. Because we think, think about this. That is, we don't have to look very far. We, we know what's happened in the Roman Catholic Church, and we can go back 20 years, and the sexual abuse scandal. What's, what's the problem? Now, that reveals that structure alone is not the solution to mm. prevent these sorts of things, right? So, mm-hmm. But there's cover-up at the top level. All that to say, even though that, that, was, that, was, that was wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean that the structures in place are wrong. It's those that we're leading were problematic. They were hiding, concealing, covering up, etc. All that to say, we've heard about that, Roman Catholic Church. Well, now, the last two years, we've heard about this in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we've heard about the numbers of sexual abuse cases. It pains me greatly. Now, in that case, there's a lack of structure, right? And they've been sort of, I don't want to say contempt, but often they've, they've talked about, well, each church, local church is autonomous, and, and we don't have any, you know, any say over those sorts of things. That's not, that language, that, that sort of uh, response, it's not, it's not satisfying any longer. It's not, it's not acceptable any longer. There have been changes that, they've, that they have made. Now, now, we've also heard about Willow Creek and what's happened at Willow Creek in that respect, you know, whether one's independent. So, so, on, on, you know, so on the one side, we got the, the structure of the Roman Catholic Church. On the other hand, the, the SBC or the Willow Creek, where it's more autonomous, right, and independent, nothing's going to absolutely guarantee. But I would say this, if we've got structures in place, we would be, we would be unwise not to use them in this day in light of the sexual abuse scandal that's around us. Now, to be sure, uh, we're not aware of the numbers necessarily that have been revealed, whether in, in, in any of those uh, uh, movements, SBC or, or, or uh, the uh, Roman Catholic Church. But we're not, we're not naive thinking that if, if we took percentages, we're not as large as either one of those, right? But if we took percentages, we'd find, I'm guessing, that it would be a similar number of people. That grieves me. One, mm-hmm. dear friend, is too many. And this, I think, is one of those means, brother, that that compels me as if I needed another. I didn't. But this is another one contemporarily that says we must, we must in local churches press the credentialing of our pastors and our ministers. Well, and it's interesting to me that you tie it because, again, the conventional wisdom at first glance would be, okay, well, this is something that kind of vets you theologically and 
you know, but you really make where the passion comes out is it's not just the theology. I mean, that's important and that does have implications, but it is the morality uh, in, in general as well. And and it's as you were talking, it hit me, and I don't want I don't want to hear your thoughts on this. You know, when you say okay, well, how? Because the question becomes okay, well, how can a piece of paper or how can a process help insulate? a leader from moral failure. And yet at the same time, we see this present in other institutions as well. When you, when you stand with brothers and sisters who are there and they have, they have affirmed you and you've gone through a process with them where they've gotten into your life and then they've asked you questions and they've kind of put you through the ringer a little bit, but at the end said, listen, we have confidence in you. I, I think that we have to say and help me understand if I'm getting this right. And we have to say that there is a there is a there's like a layer of, of value mm-hmm. on that. That now when that person faces a temptation or faces something, they can hearken back to that as like a landmark in their life. Like they're not the same person that they were before. Mm-hmm. They're not independent. They, they mm-hmm. they've become a part of this. Like I've sensed that in my in my involvement with the military. There's been times, and, and Greg, you know, it's interesting. There's times that that when I look at things, and of course as a believer, there's certain things you don't want to do. But even as a, a member of the military, when I'm out in the community, I have to ask myself, you know, I remind myself, hey, I represent the military and, and I've, I've taken certain kinds of, uh, uh, I've made certain decisions and I've done certain things and I would, like, like, in other words, I'm different than I was before. So I have to mm-hmm. make sure, I have to watch my behavior because I'm not, right? Is, am, I, am I hitting on that properly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I would say this, yes. So in other words, there are concentric circles of accountability. Yeah. Uh, we, we we are we are not isolated individuals, um, and especially as ministers of the gospel in the EFCA, it begins in the context of the local church. That's your primary mm-hmm. responsibility. It's where your calling. It's where your calling is extended, and you you, you etc. So so that's that's where it begins. But because we're part of a denomination, an association of churches, that's not where it ends. There are other concentric circles of of. Uh, encouragement of, of of exhortation of of accountability of responsibility, and that that would include the district. And you, as a district the superintendent, would come alongside and mm-hmm. and and encourage and support and 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 exhort and all of those different kinds of things. And there's also then another layer of, beyond that, and that is that is an, at the national as well. And so these various layers um, are intended to help us to, in many in many respects, a- a- accountability is really a means by which we help one another keep our commitments to God. And when we, when we see it in, in categories other than that, then it becomes, oh, legalistic, it becomes uh, heavy-handed, it becomes, you know, all these other kinds of things. Sure, that's one way to look at it. And I'm not saying that, that it hasn't been carried out in that way. But, but just because it has been misused, let's not do away with the proper use. And that's how I would see this, Tim. That, that there is a proper use. And there are different levels and layers of responsibility and accountability that are going to help us to retain our faithfulness and our fidelity to the Word of God as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That matters. Yeah, and if you're right, if you're right, then we, we are in, and I'd like you to talk about this, because if that's true, and it's, in, it's as, as important as you say that it is, where are we at as an, as the Evangelical Free Church of America, in terms of the pastors and uh, that we have credentialed, uh, we are probably uh, senior pastors at probably average forty uh, percent of mm-hmm. our senior lead pastors. Uh, that would be 
pastors of multiple staff churches and uh, those that would be solo pastors, but about 40%. And that would be give or take uh, um, uh, in, in various districts. But that's about an average of where we would where we would be. So um, so we so we so if you're again if you're an elder listening to this if you're a mm-hmm. church leader listening to this you got to hear that because yes. that means four out of uh, or six out of every ten evangelical yeah. free churches has a pastor at the helm that has not gone through this process specifically with us, mm-hmm. and that creates some liabilities. Uh, it does. Um, uh, let, let me let me uh, mention a couple. Uh, so, for example, um, if a pastor is not credentialed, um, there is no formal authority outside the local church to safeguard either doctrinal fidelity or moral and ethical faithfulness. That is, back to 1 Corinthians 4.16, life and doctrine, doctrine and life. So if a pastor begins to compromise in either of those areas, the district and the national ministries can do very little to intervene or help in those situations. Now, it's not that we won't do what we can, but, but there's, there's, there's very little that we can do uh, because there's no accountability beyond, uh, at least for the, for the pastor, beyond, beyond uh, the local church. And I, I find in those instances where there has been either uh, compromising uh, doctrine or, or, or morality, I find that those churches that have experienced that, more often than not, subsequent to this particular issue, the church will require that their pastor be credentialed. Yeah. So that's one thing oh, that, yes. that, you, that, that churches can do today is they can yep. say— Hey, from this point forward, we are like if we're going to hire a new pastor, um, if and maybe even the pastoral staff you have now, you can say, hey, you need you, we really want you to look into this because, and again, we I see this so often. We have churches that contact us when they feel like things are just that they're kind of getting out of hand in terms of what they're able to handle. That theologically, there's some confusion or they they're, they're not quite sure. And you're right, there's no way to for us to really do anything because of the autonomy of the local church. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would say this, Tim. I think, I think, and, and part of the 40%, which is what I, I'm really wanting to talk about, mm-hmm. and you, you've heard me talk about this, brother, and that is we have so emphasized in the free church autonomy, it's really, I think, been at the expense of our interdependency. And we have therefore lived as if our autonomy equals independency. And it, it, does, it doesn't. Uh, you, you would find when free churches become, when, when a local church becomes a church in the free church, we agree. That local church agrees. And they agree, they agree autonomously. No one's forcing them, right? So they agree autonomously uh, to be interdependent. That's what they're saying. That's what they're agreeing to. They're not compromising anything of who they are. They're saying we are, we are stronger by by par- partnering with other like-minded, like-hearted churches with a similar statement of faith, with a with similar mission, etc., and 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 so uh, I think we need to hear the both and, not the either or. That is autonomy or heavy-handed interdependency. No, 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 no. It's 
autonomous and interdependency. And, and I think, Tim, that what's happened is over the years, there's been such a strong heavy emphasis on the autonomy that it's been at the expense of our interdependency. And I think that's partly what describes the 40%. Other you mentioned earlier, brother, and that is, it's, it's, I don't have the time. I, in other words, it's not, it's not valued. And, and if the pastor or minister, him or herself, do not value it, that's where I think the elders, and I think this is one of your motivations as the DS, and that is to help elders understand the importance of this and church members so that, so that they are aware of and pressing in on these matters as well. And I think that's a, that's a very uh, important thing to get the message to get out to them. Well, and, and we have to be able to say, because as I started off by, by asking you, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic, everybody's in this urgency mode, there's social unrest. It's like, gosh, the last thing that a person you would think would need to spend their time on is working on a credential. However, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because the topic today is how earning an EFCA credential strengthens you and your church. Now, here's what I, now I'll just be full disclosure here. I came into the free church in 2005. I planted a church. I brought it in 2005. I had no denominational background at all, and I did not pursue an EFCA credential until I got hired on as the district superintendent here. And it was like, you're going to do this. I said, great. So, so I'm saying this as someone who is currently mm-hmm. going through the process of ordination, and I'm mm-hmm. writing my 40-page paper, 36 pages I have completed, um, probably 12 of those are complete garbage. So I'm gonna have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go. So really, I'm like, I'm, I'm not quite as far along as I, as I wish that I was. But here's what I want to say, Greg, is that as I've been going through it. I'm learning things that are helping me yeah. deal with this present crisis. Yep. So how yep. does this, the, the things that are contained in this process, how can we connect the process itself from the learning and everything else to actually helping you become a better leader, a better pastor, uh, even in the midst of these tumultuous times? Uh, think about it. Okay, so here we are, brother. Uh, uh, article one. The doctrine of God. Hmm. Did he fall asleep at the wheel? Was this a mistake, COVID-19? COVID uh, how do we respond to the coronavirus? Do, do, we, do we cower? Do we fear? That is at the heart of the doctrine of God. We affirm that, that God is sovereign. Hmm. We affirm God has a providential plan. Even though we groan and, and creation groans and we are, we are living that, that's not the last word. God has the last word. There is a purpose. And, and, and brother, that, that speaks volumes. Uh, let's, 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 that's the doctrine of God. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but, but we come to learn that God is not only with us, but God is for us. Oh, brother, think about that in the midst of, of, the, of the pandemic and how we think about and process. And not only that, let's think about... Let's think about Oh, the doctrine of God and what God calls of us, calls us to do and how we are to live. And that is, huh, uh, the, great, the greatest commandment is to what? Love God and, and, and love others. You think that guides and exhorts us how we respond in the midst of the pandemic? And if that's not enough, let's, let's then go to Article 2, the, the Bible. Well, the, 
what I've been saying is grounded in the Bible, isn't it? And 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 let's let's continue. Uh, since you asked, uh, and I could go through all ten, I won't. I'll I'll end here. <laughs> yeah. But think about this: Article Three, the human condition. So we 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 begin by by affirming the creation of Adam and Eve in the image of God. Do you think that has anything mm. to say with the racial unrest mm. that we're experiencing right now? Do you think that has anything to say or to speak into this this this? politicization of everything, uh, virtually everything, every conversation we have today. I could go on, brother, but yeah. but th these are absolutely critical things that we are thinking through, not just at a surface level, but we are helped and to some degree forced to press deeper uh, on some of these issues so that we can then wrestle with them ourselves and by God's grace, lead God's people more faithfully and fruitfully. Does that resonate? Well, and, and it absolutely does. And I think I think that what you're saying and advocating for, and really what this does is this is a this is a when you engage in this process, it is going to, in a sense, force you to reckon with the very things that are going to answer the problems of the day. You know, and as a clear example of this, uh, one of the things that you do when you go through a credentialing process with the FCA is you read several books, and one of them is, I have it right here, Evangelical Convictions, of which you were pretty much the author of, right? Um, no. You were not. Um, oh, I thought you were. Um, there, was a there, uh, there was a... There was a... There were others involved. We'll put it put it that okay. way. So we we did that intentionally. We we did not want anyone to say, uh, well, uh, uh, Greg Strand says, well, Bill Kine says, well, uh, uh, whatever. Right. We wanted people to say, you know what? This is a theological exposition of our statement of faith. It says in evangelical convictions, rather yeah. rather than saying, uh, A. T. Olson says or anyway. So we did that very intentionally, uh, so yeah. that people will be come to see not not residing in a person but in a in a in a in this book well and so no that makes a lot of sense this book is not just one person it's not but it's a process and it really is it represents the collective understanding that we yeah. have of who we yeah. are and it's really in, an expansion ways, you yeah. know in some ways tim it's like this um uh well what does greg say i, I don't care yeah, I, you know, at one level, I don't. Uh, what you know, what what does God say? And 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 f firstly and foremostly, but then secondly, so what 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 have how have we articulated that as a free church? And that's what this book attends, intends to do. And that's why we wanted to to move away from any any single author. Well, and you know, when you talk about so in Article Eight, it talks about Christian living, and I and I just it's profoundly ironic to me. You use uh, an example, or the book uses an example of um of this painting called the adoration of the magi and it says it's it's hanging in this uh um king's college chapel and so but back in 1974 there was a protest and a guy came in and basically defaced it and painted the letters ira uh deeply into the canvas kind of it's kind of funny if it's, it kind of sounds like something i recently saw in the news um just stuff that happens every night um, and so what happened was, I mean, it's like everybody goes, oh, wow, this is terrible. You know, here's this art that's ruined forever. But then there was, you said, it says in the book here, there appeared a notice alongside that announced, it is believed that this masterpiece can be restored to its original condition. And it was. And then the book goes on to say, and this is what I wanted to focus on, that this is the message of the gospel. This masterpiece of the human person created to glorify God as his image, but defaced by the ravages of sin can be restored to a glory even beyond its original condition. And I 
underlined that when I read that and I, because it hit me, I said, it's not just, it's not just about moving the needle back to zero. It's about, it's about even more beautiful than it was at the beginning. And I just can't help but think that it's a reconnection and realignment and, and in fact, some cases discovery of that for the very first time that can speak so powerfully into the malaise and the, and the, the downgraded, uh, downcast, um, mood uh, of the times right now and what we're living in. I would agree. Um, and, and that's just one, a, a further example, Tim, of, of how um, uh, study helps to move us beyond our own limitations. Mm-hmm. We, we hear and we learn. Uh, you know, I often will say this, that theology is best learned and lived in community. And, and, and that's not just the immediate community, those around the table with whom we sit. That, that's part of it, although over Zoom these days, right, mm. with, with COVID-19, um, distanced appropriately, et cetera. But also, also the, the great cloud of witnesses that have preceded us. Uh, and so we're learning from, and that's why I love the, the expression, theology is best learned and lived in community. And that, that's what you're saying. You're, you're reading something there from someone else, and, and it's, it's forcing you to think in a way that you hadn't thought before that's going to deepen your understanding of God's Word, appreciation for God's Word, and then articulating that to God's people. That's, that's, a, that's a very good example, Tim, of how, how this study uh, enables us to move in that direction. Well, and especially how it speaks to the crisis of our time. And so again, the point needs to be driven home that the current crisis does not demand us to to sidestep our study of theology, but actually to dive deeper into it. Oh, embed it. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really is absolutely critical in order for us to understand uh, what is going on? Because it, it you know, the scriptures, as you know, and, and theology, it it not only describes reality, it doesn't lead us to despair. Mm. It brings us hope. Mm-hmm. It's not a naive hope. It is a sure and certain hope. In fact, uh, it's been said. Someone was asked, uh, uh, and it doesn't. I, I I know who it is. I won't mention it, uh, but none the name. But but the person was asked, are, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist, I believe in the resurrection of mm. Jesus Christ. Mm. Our blessed hope. Oh, man. And, and that, that is exactly right. And, and, and that then changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, that, yeah. that gives perspective to everything. And, right. and so we grieve. We grieve. But not, not as those without hope. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and so again... I, I think this conversation absolutely is making the case. And and the fact that it ties everything back to the local church. In other words, like when you have a credentialing council of some kind, you are it is open to the members of the church to come and be a part of it, right? In fact, it's required. It's required that that a council has some members from the local church. Uh, and that that's laid out. Uh, some of the, the the guidelines are laid out uh, uh, on our website. But yes, it's it's because that's where it originates, right? For example, who knows the person who's being credentialed better than the members of that local church or the elders of that local church? Well, no one really. Uh, plus, uh, uh, the spouse is a part of the the council as well. So there are questions if the person is married. There, are, there, are, the spouse is asked questions, etc. So it, it is a it is a it's a it's a wonderfully healthy and rich and robust process, and 
and honestly, you know, I, I look at this, but part of it's probably what I do. But, but you know, I, I say it this way, that, that all theology results in doxology, and doxology, all worship of God, is grounded in theology. Mm-hmm. And so in this particular setting, what a wonderful opportunity and privilege we have to be asked about those beliefs mm-hmm. in the context of worship of God articulating our belief in God and giving thanks and praise to him. And so really the context is not another assignment. This is this is a this is a worshipful experience. Right. Yeah, and it as as it should be. And so yes. and and again, so that now we I want to talk about the process because because it is not um it is not instantaneous. Uh, I wouldn't even necessarily say that it's easy. It, it, is, it is a rigorous process. I think we have to be honest and say that, especially when we look at ordination. However, you uh, and the, the, uh, the Board of Ministerial Standing, um, you, uh, the EFCA is, is opening up some lanes to mm-hmm. help our pastors be able to uh, get a credential in, a, in an easier way or, or a, a fashion that kind of allows it to, to not necessarily take as long. And I would like for you to talk about that a little bit because I think it's very interesting and I think it's very important that we as a movement uh, understand what, what's going on, what you guys are doing and why and how they can potentially really benefit from this. Yeah, I would say this, Tim. I, 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 I would say we're not we're not lessening. We're extending the runway, is how I would say this. Mm-hmm. That is to say, we're we still have the same credentials that we have had, um, that are that are you know a fifteen page paper for a ministry license, but we've we've extended the runway because we believe that 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 alignment to our statement of faith and accountability, both doctrinally and morally, is critical to the health and well-being of, of the local church and our movement. And so bearing that in mind, and, and also our historical moment, you know, some of those things that we mentioned earlier, the sexual abuse issues and, mm-hmm. and, and, and pastors, uh, you know, uh, either morally failing or, or, or doctrinally going in a different direction, uh, denying uh, the, the, the cardinal doctrine of the faith, uh, we have added two ministry licenses um, one of those is a ministry license that is a five-year non-renewable. So, so we have a, a ministry license that is renewable every five years. Um, and by the way, let me just add just a footnote, but it's not an unimportant footnote. And that is one of the other benefits of credentialing is every five years, and I did mention it earlier, but every five years, one needs to reaffirm their commitment to the statement of faith and and uh, the holiness of life and and other things as well. Um, think about it. And and how often do you think when you talked about the getting a degree from a seminary or whatever? How often do you think you will be asked subsequent to that if your beliefs are still the same, or even if someone is credentialed in a local church? Once they've left that local church, how accountable are they, doctrine and life, to that to that local church once they've left? Well, there isn't any, is there? There is none. Because this is a national credential, there is ongoingly um, accountability among us all uh, for, for retaining uh, purity of life and, and, and holiness of life and, and, and uh, doctrine as well. Well, and really, so quick, are- really quick, I think that's huge. I want to just point that out. I think that's really important because, because 
in a you know we receive calls once in a while about concerns from church members or elders or whatever about a pastor going off the you know the grid with his uh, beliefs um, and but you but the so for example let's just say the obvious example if a pastor were to all of a sudden affirm you know the LGBTQ you know thing in terms of like hey it doesn't matter anymore um, that if they're honest that would come up at, at some point in their renewal and mm-hmm. then you know that That's would be right. a, that would be a problem. But what again? That going back to that issue of accountability, when you carry. And by the way, that has happened. Okay. That has happened. Okay. Well, that's the thing. So then, when you carry a a, a credential from us from the EFCA, and let's say you're a person in the church, you know your pastor carries that credential. You really, in a sense, can you know I say uh, sit back a little bit and relax because you know that if that person's in good standing, that that there is that theology that they are maintaining, mm-hmm. and you don't. I think a lot. I think a lot of church members are, are worried: is, is our pastor going to give in to all the the the, the cultural compromise yes. and that sort of thing? Yep, yep. Yeah. I, I would agree, and I could give you a, a number of examples, Tim, where where we have had to process these things uh, from a, the district and national working together mm-hmm. uh, in the context of a local church. I could give you those examples. We can say a whole lot more about that, but let me let me yeah. just talk about two, these two new licenses that we will be um, uh, setting forth this this fall, promoting this fall's uh, and 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 posting on the website and and uh, inst- giving instructions, et cetera, about how to do this. But the first is a five year non renewable, and this credential is is designed. In fact, it it'll be helpful to it's a it's a new one. So let me let me read it. So we the explanation. So we get precisely what it is. This credential is designed for those in a senior or lead pastor position who have been involved in an EFCA qualifying ministry for 10 years or less and who desire to be aligned with and accountable to the EFCA. The requirement is that the candidate has the appropriate theological understanding of the statement of faith and alignment with the EFCA. And being approved for a license grants the candidate all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of an EFCA credential. Now, the key is this. This opens a door, um, and, and it's a good one. It's a good door, but it's non-renewable. So that's, it's five years, um, and at the end of five years, it goes away. So what we are encouraging and, and, and really helping is there, there is this relationship. Now, you've got five years to press on. To, to a ministry license that is then subsequent to that is renewable, or one could pursue a certificate of ordination. Now, we're getting into a little bit of granular into the weeds, maybe a little bit, but all that to say, that is one of the new uh, licenses, Tim, that will enable one to become aligned with and affirm the statement of faith. It'll consist of, and we can spell these things out, but it'll consist of reading evangelical convictions and um, a- agreeing to the statement of faith uh, without mental reservation. Um, and then, of course, you've got it. You've got an acceptable. Uh, you've got a call to a qualified ministry. But but that's that's what it will entail. And plus, then it's a response to our statement of faith, and it'll be a three-page paper. Um, and and most pastors, ministers could do that, and most elders would welcome. I'm interested to know what he believes on these matters. Well, anyway, this is a this is a new one. It's a ministry license, and it's non-renewable. But it, the important thing is, it gets one. It, it 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 recognizes this person is aligned and accountable. That's the one. There's a second one, and this one is an expedited. This one is is short term. This one will will uh, cease in September of 2022. So we're we're, we're bearing in mind, brother, that the 60 percent. We're still very much committed to. The, the alignment 
and the theological understanding of our statement of faith. This, this one is for those who have are presently in a senior lead pastor role and have been involved in EFCA ministry, a qualifying EFCA ministry for 10 years or more. This is 10 years or more. So they've already been a part of the free church for 10 years and they desire now, uh, they're being pressed in a good way to be aligned with and accountable to the EFCA. This is then a second one that is really geared towards the 60% that have been involved in EFCA ministry for 10 years or more. And this is a means by which they would say, yes, I'm aligned. And yes, I want to be accountable. Those are the two new licenses that have extended the runway of, of credentialing in the EFCA. I'm, I'm excited about this, these new opportunities, uh, Tim. Well, they're on-ramps, right? That's what they are. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they really That's help. That's right. Yeah, because they help you go from just nothing to you have something. And I think it's particularly important for our churches to, to know this, that this is, not a, this is not an unreasonable thing to ask of that 60% mm-hmm. that would qualify or right. for a new pastor coming into an EFCA church mm-hmm. who is outside EFCA or doesn't hold a credential, um, that they could, yeah. Yeah. they could do this pretty quickly too. Yeah. You know, in many ways, Tim, what we're, what we're hoping will happen, and this is then the, the, the three-legged stool, right? So it's the, it's the national, the district, and then the local church. And in most instances, say, for example, in your, in your uh, situation, Tim, you will help churches that are looking for pastors in the search process. Uh, you at least will help to some degree, or at least someone on staff. Uh, do you do that, Tim? Well, or is that sort is that of. Bob? Uh, well, yeah, okay. It's kind well, of a team you understand. Effort. But all that to say, churches are looking for some guidance, and you are looking to provide some of that guidance. And so, when we think about particular ministry license non renewable, we are really hoping that that local churches will, and we're we're drafting papers and forms and and guidelines that 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 search committees of local churches will be able to use and then to use some of these these um, uh, uh, requirements during the search process so that so that by the time the person is called as a pastor they've they've already done what is required for a ministry license five-year non-renewable they've written the paper you think about this Tim which local church search committee wouldn't want to know, or elders, which ones wouldn't want to know what their pastor would believe about certain things regarding the statement of faith? I mean, everyone would, it seems to me. They're interested in those things. We are providing means to aid them in the process of calling the pastor to their local church. And this then seems to strengthen not just the three-legged stool or to recognize the three-legged stool. It seems that it'll strengthen that local church's commitment to the interdependency of our of our denomination. Yeah. No, it's got there's just a lot of good reasons that that a a pastor, a an elder board, a search team should consider this and really because I think a lot of times people don't necessarily know what to ask and we do make a lot of assumptions theologically, yes. even when it comes, you know, usually the vetting is like, yep. hey, what school did you go to? What seminary did you go to? And this allows you to to get past some of those assumptions and really, you know, ask the questions that should be asked mm-hmm. that are going to be practically very important for somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yep, I do. And I agree fully. Yeah. So, but I, so I want to talk for a few more minutes then about 
about this because, again, we've talked a lot about the EFCA doctrine and why that's important, and there's so much to say about that. But the other part of this that I think is equally as important, and of course the morality, but is also our ethos, you know? And so, for example, um, one of the books that you're supposed to read when you get ordained is The Significance of Silence, that book. And I would like to just, one thing as I was reading, and I'm actually not completely done reading this book, I'm almost done. Um, but this was written by A.T. Olson. And, and again, I see you've, you've dog-eared some pages. Oh, I have. I, no, I have. And I, I have, you see the underlines there? I mean, I I'm, see it. I'm, it's I legit here. Um, but, but here, so what's helped me in reading this book is understanding why EF, EFCA pastors or, or churches or leaders function or at least think the way that they do. And Olson gives an example about how we went to some town, some town in Minneapolis or in Minnesota, I should say, some small town and inquired as to the history of some of these old free churches. And, and there was one that had split over the issue of baptism. And he writes this. He said, I was often puzzled as to how these saints, after forming two rival congregations, could sit together around the same coffee table in my home, but could not kneel together at the same altar in my church, how they could play together, but could not pray together how they could attend the same weddings, funerals, and social gatherings, but not the same Bible study. You know, Greg, this speaks to the, the need that we feel we often have to divide over minor points of doctrine. Can you talk about that as it relates to the ethos of the EFCA and why it's so important that we get that right when it comes to our credentialing and ordination and the kind of pastors and leaders we're affirming? Yeah, as you see... Uh, once again, you know, the Free Church affirms so strongly the, the commitment to the authority and inerrancy of the Bible and the sufficiency of the Bible. Uh, and following from that is theology or doctrine. And, and both, uh, say, for example, our statement of faith, which we would look at evangelical convictions as the theological exposition, and the, the significance of silence, that book, which is being revised uh, we're in the process of revising that book under the title Evangelical Unity, where we talk about, uh, some have heard about theological triage or dogmatic rank. That is, there are first-order doctrines, there are mm. second-order doctrines, there are third-order doctrines, and there are, there are disputable matters. Romans 14, there are disputable matters. Um, and how do we determine those kinds of things? That becomes critical for understanding who the free is. So they're both doctrinally related, uh, one explicitly convictionally, the other, in that we, we will debate these issues, but we will not divide over these issues. Mm. Now, that does not mean that local churches will not have distinctives, right? So there will be distinctives in each local free church. There isn't going to be a 50% uh, breakdown on each of these different uh, uh, second-order, third-order doctrines. But the commitment is we will debate them, but not divide over them. That's the point that, that, that Brother Olson is making in the significance of silence, that we will divide. I, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. We will debate, but we won't divide. And I think that, honestly, is one of the uniquenesses of the free church. So, so there are other denominations, and I'm not saying good or bad. I'm not saying good or bad. I mean, you know, there are other denominations. Let me use this example, Tim. Uh, C.S. Lewis would refer to mere Christianity, the village green, as others would refer to it, this great big place where we as evangelicals gather together. His point was, that's really not, we, we gather there and it's important we do, but that's not where life is lived. Life is lived 
in, in the rooms off the giant hall, this great big hall. So if you go into this room, uh, you might find, the, say, for example, the Wesleyans. Uh, if you go off into this other room, you might find the uh, Presbyterians. Um, and, and if, in fact, one or the other went into the wrong room, it wouldn't take long for that person to realize, hmm, I, 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 I think I'm in the wrong room here. The free church is sort of a room between the, the large room and those, those smaller rooms around, on, uh, around the larger room. That is, there are issues in those other denominations that, that, do, uh, that are distinctives, and they're, they're, they're uh, distinctives at second or third level issues, right? And, and that, that's legitimate. That's a denomination. The uniqueness of the free church is that we we pull out a little bit. We're kind of a room between the giant room, uh, the mere Christianity room, and the narrower denominational room on the outside. Now, I get, forgive me, the metaphor breaks down because a room before a room becomes a hallway, and that's not where life is lived either, so forgive me. But I think you understand sort of the picture, the image, the metaphor, in that that's the uniqueness of the free church, so that one in each of those denominations could come to the free church and they would fit. They would fit. Um, and so I think that's, that's, I think my estimation is what makes the free church unique. And we, we have wrestled with that. There are some that they're much more, let me say this, that they're narrower on some of those issues and they would then be more comfortable ministering in one of those other rooms that would be more reflective of that, that does in a sense then, um, uh, that that is a unique distinctive, that is a demarcation, as opposed to the free church, and that's where it's important to ask these questions because not everybody is comfortable living and ministering with with the free church significance of silence. Let me say one other thing: many many conclude that the significance of silence now that we're sixty years beyond, uh, uh, forty years beyond that book being written it was written in nineteen eighty one, so it's you know twenty forty years. And what people read that now, they hear the significance of silence and they conclude, oh, we can't talk about it. Well, th then, of course, everybody feels compromised or they think, well, you've got to sort of amalgamate the various views so that both sides uh, uh, have to give up something. No, that's not it at all. What it means is that we won't, we'll debate but not divide. That's what the significance of silence means. And we're, we're thinking, well, we've changed the title. We're changing the title Evangelical Unity because there is misunderstanding, but I think the essence of it is, hey, we don't divide. Is that helpful, Tim? It is very helpful, and I think it's important, and the reason I brought it up is because we're not, we're interested in the theological understanding and, and agreement with, and, and again, we talk about without mental reservation, that's a very, very important phrase, uh, to, to looking at the statement of faith, we talk about the, the issue of lifestyle and morality, but then we also, in a sense, there's this other piece of how we get along with one another. Mm -hmm. And, and there is this idea, you know, part, part of, part of interdependence and getting back to the autonomy is that, Hey, I get to kind of, you know, and this is the, how I've been explaining it as I've been going around, uh, talking and preaching in different churches, um, so we, I, I talk about the free part and I say, hey, that's that's great. But with, you know, you, the only way to keep freedom is if you is if you have if you accept the responsibility that is associated with freedom. But the other part of it, too, is, hey, I have a responsibility in my context to be able to get the gospel out and transform lives the, the best way I possibly can under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when, with the responsibility of the local church, that doesn't give me 
the right, and it's really outside of our of our ethos to then throw rocks at other people that that do things differently than I would do them. That, as you said, is not part of those that first order of of our doctrine, right? Is that the best way to yeah. say it? Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. And it 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 really it is there. Is there a place for disagreements on on or differences of application while affirming the same biblical truth, even right. affirming the same exegesis, exegetical conclusions of this same biblical truth, and 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 still end up with differing applications on the other side? Yes, absolutely. And one one doesn't necessarily because one would differ on the application. It, it, it is not only unhelpful and uncharitable. Um, it, it can be even stated more strongly that, that that it would be wrong to call one another unbiblical or ungodly at that at that point. And and it seems to me if we if we affirm Romans one sixteen, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And combine that with Jesus' high priestly prayer in John seventeen for oneness. And to combine that with Paul's uh, exposition of the of the of the oneness created through the death of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, and then that we work towards that unity in the spirit and the bond of peace in Romans in Ephesians 4, that there's something to the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a minimalism, nor does compromising. It seems to me it's a commitment, a convictional commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the oneness that he's created. And and no, it will not be perfect here. There's a not yetness, brother, that I think we cannot just simply brush off with a wave of a hand either. And and I, I think that there's something that's missing when in our life and witness, there's something that, that is compromised in our proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when in our, our living and our witness, that it's anything but the unity that Jesus Christ has created through his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, and, yeah, exactly. And it has to focus on the gospel and center on the gospel message. And that the, it's, it seems to me that the, the more we elevate these minor points of doctrine, it's just natural that the gospel itself, or at least the need to get it out, uh, lessens because we end up having these intramural squabbles and we end up staying up late at night writing on blogs and making these writing these long position papers about things that really at the end of the day don't necessarily matter they may matter in your context and how you want to do them i think and because i want to wrap this up here and this has been a fantastic conversation but i think we've made the case i think you've made the case effectively so that really it does the process of credentialing and and again we can talk about by the way i just i I want to say this too when we talk about credentialing this includes men and women i should have said this at the very beginning right men and women can get uh, any yep. level of credentialing except ordination. Ordination is reserved for men. Mm-hmm. Largely, that is because Correct. of our belief that a senior pastor, um, biblically speaking, should be a man. We we do say that. Is that correct? Yep. But other than that, there's a lot of freedom in that and everything else. And we want our we want our women to get credentialed. In fact, we have a lot of them getting yes. credentialed. Yes, I, I, that's that's exactly right. And it's very very and, important. And my, my my plea is this: Why? <laughs> Why, why wouldn't we want our women in in uh, qualifying ministries not to pursue uh, a credential? Why would we want them not prepared and equipped theologically? Me, that that it's crazy. Uh, we we should, 
Uh, we should press in that way. And, and many, many want to be. And, and I, I say, may, may that increase. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So then if somebody wants to, you know, if somebody wants to take that first step and do it, what's the best way for them to start? Well, uh, go on our website. You can, you can search the stuff on our website. Uh, you will find there that if there are, I mean, the, the, the place to begin would be contacting the district office. Mm -hmm. So for those that are listening, uh, EFCA West, contact the district office. That would probably be Sochi. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and she would be happy to guide uh, through that process. Sochi works uh, with the, the theology and, and care and credentialing uh, at the national level. And uh, that would be a place uh, to begin. And this is that, that sort of that seamless three-legged stool um, of the national and the district. And, and Sochi would rep represent the district level and, and uh, uh, where I serve the, the national level. But we, we together, uh, and, and Tim as well, and, and we together then serve the, serve the local church. So that, that, that's what I would recommend. Um, either begin on our website and, and then uh, it'll counsel you to contact the district office. So that's the, the means by which I would encourage you to, to begin the process. And I would encourage you to begin the process. You know, Tim, could I, uh, could I say something about uh, how, how could, a question, how could elders uh, or other uh, church leaders encourage their senior pastor or staff pursue a credential? W what might be helpful? Well, here are some thoughts for the for the for the pastor. Some would say that you know I, I'm once you begin, I'm so busy I don't have the time for it. Let me say this: you will not get any less busy, and so the the best time is to begin is to do it do it at the front end. But but here's what I would suggest: lead a study, uh, uh, preach a series, mm -hmm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. go through, find a means by which you can go through the statement of faith. That means you will give focused attention, probably an article per week or maybe an article every other week or whatever the case might be, that will allow you to study and write about it. At the end of a, uh, that, this particular study, whether it's a 10-week study whether, or whatever the case might be, you will have had an opportunity to complete your paper. And a ministry license is 15 pages. It, mm -hmm. It's 15 to 20 pages. Um, another, Double spaced, if, if, by the way. Double spaced. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So don't worry. Um, if, 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 if a pastor's in a, in a multiple staff, join with other staff members and do this together. I have found a number of, mm. of multiple staff churches mm -hmm. that one is doing it, and often it's the senior pastor or lead pastor, but he's inviting other it has been a wonderful exercise for all the reasons you mentioned earlier, Tim. This is this is relevant to what we're what we're going through and experiencing even right now. Um, there, there's another in a district setting, and 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 I know that the EFCA West has done this in the past. Other districts have as well, but there are cohorts. So so any number of of pastors ministers that are going through the process in a two hour distance uh, whatever, where they do this together as a cohort. And, and, and just the, the help along the way, some of the accountability, that some of the, t the, the time uh, 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 guidelines or, or put them in your calendar sort of thing, they really do help. And, and then I would encourage elders, I would encourage elders, give them time. Give pastors, give staff, give them time. Um, it, it does take time uh, to do it well. And don't think it's, it's simply a to-do list. This is critical to, to their, to their well-being to serve the local church well. Absolutely. Well, I think you said it. I think that's, I mean, that, that is, that is the case for it. That is the way that, 
you can be because again you're applying yourself to a process that is that is forcing you in a sense to deal with these issues to think them through and not just respond as you do in an academic setting but you have to produce something and you have to produce something that is then evaluated by the peers that you're that you're teaching that you're doing ministry with and ultimately that becomes something that stays with you and mm-hmm. begins to mark your ministry and i think actually it can really help to produce other people in your church to in, that yeah. that are a part of it to even get maybe more interested and excited about theology because most people we have, we know this most people outside of the the profession the professional minister see this as a an area that they are not qualified for and so the yeah. fact that you can engage them in any way possible to me seems like this could be a a catalyst for for other people in your in the church being able to say, man, this is, yeah, I, I was a part of this. This is kind of cool. I, I yeah. want to lean more deeply into this. Absolutely, you know? Yeah. You, you know, if I could say this, Tim, when, when, when I was a pastor, I would do leadership training. And, and uh, in my particular instance, it was a two-year leadership training. By the end of those two years, these, these elders and those pursuing uh, potentially in the future some eldering role, um, they could have... Uh, 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 sat in an ordination council and done well. And it was something we did together. We learned together. We grew together. And my reason for that is because if you look at the New Testament, the the ministry description for me as the pastor or the vocational elder is no different than it is for all other elders in a non-vocational capacity. Now, being the vocational, I also have a job description, right? I've got a ministry description that's above and beyond. That is, I, I'm in the role of the first among equals because I'm 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 called to that role. That is my my ministry profession, right, or or my my role. But at the end of the day, in the New Testament, we're all the qualifications are the same, right, for all anyone serving in an elder. And and I thought to myself, I don't want to I don't want to be the only answer guy. I, I don't want to be be the only one who is helping people to think biblically and theologically. So when someone has a question. And we, we would have flocks, right? And so an elder, various elders would be responsible for different members of the, of the local church. And if someone would come to me, or, or what I wanted to do actually was, was to encourage people to go to their elder with the questions that they would have. And so then we would equip the elders so that then there isn't a sim- single answer guy. The elders together help to shepherd God's people, to bring them, to feed them to the flock or to feed them in the in the in the words of scripture that the you know the green pastures and the still waters and 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 that's that's then what what I found to be very important. All that to say this is something that a pastor, say for example a solo pastor, right? This is something that that he could do uh, with his elders to make a cohort out of it. And so there are just a lot of different ways, uh, brother, in which um, this could become a learning process for more than just self, but others in the church as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, Greg, I mean, I just appreciate this. I know that this has been hopefully cleared the fog for a lot of people, especially with some of the new on-ramps, um, extending the the runway, as you've said, that EFCA has coming. But then also f- hopefully being inspiring to at least just 
put your toe in the water and see. Go to the website, look at it. Again, it's not something you can accomplish in an afternoon. It's not a passive exercise, but you know, it is a worthwhile thing. And everything that's worthwhile does take some effort mm-hmm. and does take a little yep. bit of risk. And yet I do think the rewards yep. are amazing yep. because you'll emerge with a deeper level of understanding theologically and you'll do it in the context of community and you really will kind of begin to hopefully have that foundational part of your life that says I'm rooted somewhere even though I'm I'm you know in in a sense autonomous and I'm free to do you know what I want I get that but but it it's like you said so so eloquently I think that can be abused or 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 uh, have its its liabilities as well. Let's let's be sent. Let's live as sent people, but also, I mean, it's again very biblical. Let's be. Let's live as sent out. Let's live as mm-hmm. those who who have been people that have been have come together and and have been affirmed and then and gone through a process. And it really does, I think, add to to the to the value. I think it, it deepens your you spiritually. So I just encourage everyone to do it. And I say that as someone who's in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and I've got to right. crank out a few more pages and then go sit through through my counsel. But I'm actually excited about it. I I I really am because I know I'm gonna. I, I'm not a yeah. theologian, so I know I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna get hit on a few things by some by some uh, by some very intelligent, well-meaning people. Uh, and that's okay. That, but because that, I hope. Well, let me be... let me say this too, Tim. I would say this too that you know what all of this stuff it really enhances your pastoral ministry mm-hmm. because because any of our you know all of our pastoral ministry is grounded in in biblical truth. And, and biblical truth is foundational, but it's expressed in pastoral ministry, shepherding, right? Under shepherding, under the chief shepherd of Jesus Christ. And so really the end goal is not, is not a degree. The, mm-hmm. the, the end goal is faithfulness and fidelity to the chief shepherd as an under shepherd to his people. And, and this, is, this is, I think, a, a, a wonderful aid in that process. Absolutely. Well, hey, Greg. Thanks so much. I appreciate it's been delightful. it. Delightful. Yeah, and I hopefully we will see uh, all kinds of people go go through this process. And, hey, and, and if anyone benefits. has a question, they want they want to ask me. Hey, I find delight in doing so. So uh, if anyone wants to contact me directly, I'd be delighted to visit with them. Awesome. Thanks so much, Greg. 